to those things that we get to do together as Christians. And uh, I thought I'd start this morning um, with uh, uh, kind of describing the scenario that my family faced this last spring. We had summer looming, and uh, we had two parents who work, anybody ever been there, and two kids out of school, right? Two very competitive, energetic, did I say competitive, creative, and uh, semi-hormonal tween boys with too much time on their hands, right? That was um, an equation that spelled disaster. It was not going to happen. So we began our search my husband and I, for um, the perfect nanny. We talked to some people that we knew here at church. We, uh, we had the lead on a few college gals around town, and nothing was panning out. And the whole time um, the search was going on, our two boys were not happy in any way. We kept hearing things like, Mom, we're not babies. Mom, we don't need a babysitter. From my oldest, Mom, I'm almost a teenager. Just give me a month. I'll be a teenager, and I can watch us. You can pay me little scary, right? So enter our solution, a tall, lanky, God-loving kid named Cody. And uh, the boys nicknamed Cody the Manny. All right, do you like that? So Cody was a recent high school graduate with his driver's license, so he could actually uh, chauffeur the boys around to the pool or a movie or wherever they wanted to go. He, uh, my boys love basketball. Cody played basketball. In fact, they'd watched him for the past four years play on the high school team. My oldest, Reed, loves the drums. Guess what? Cody plays drums. Yes, we're one of those crazy parents who allows our son to have his own drum kit. Cody helped him set it up this summer. Our youngest, Adam, is 10, and he loves Legos. And you should see some of the creations that he and Cody made this summer. Inferno towers and battles and ships and all these things. And then there's the Nerf guns, right? Some of the battles waged in my house this summer were epic. In fact, after service, look around the lobby. You might see some evidence of a battle that actually came here. So Cody brought a fun factor to the whole Manny idea. But the cool part, he also brought God from an 18-year-old man perspective, something that my boys needed. Cody was exactly the person we needed. We'd found ourselves a winner. Cody's not perfect, He has flaws like any 18-year-old kid does, and I bet his parents could tell you a little bit more about those than I could. But our boys began the summer dreading the fact that they'd have to spend the entire school vacation with some nanny. And as they recently reflected back over their summer, one of the highlights for them was that they got to spend the entire summer with Cody. He had gone from an authority figure that they had to be with to someone that they got to spend time with each day, and they truly miss him now that summer's over. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever dreaded spending time with a certain person? Maybe a a flight with a loud, unknown someone, maybe a slightly odd coworker, or someone new in your class. But after just a short time with this person, you find yourself actually enjoying their company. Maybe they inspire you, or you gain a friend along the way. And you have to, as in I have to spend time with them, becomes a get-to. I get to hang out with this person, and I'm better for it. As parents, John and I were ecstatic that God provided such a godly young Manny to hang out with our boys because we saw them grow up in ways this summer that they never would have had we left them alone. And, you know, our Heavenly Father is just 
as ecstatic, just as excited to provide us with other godly people to help us grow up along the way as well. Because he knows that left alone by ourselves, we won't grow up, we'll just grow old. We've been in this series called Get To, exploring the things that as those seeking after Christ, we get to do. We've talked about the fact that we get to love God. That's not an obligation. That's a beautiful choice that we get to do. We get to duplicate everything he's poured into us, all the experience, all the wisdom, everything that God has poured into us through his love. And then we get to go out and tell people about it, make disciples, point other people towards Jesus. We get to serve others, loving them right where they're at. And this morning we're going to wrap up our series on Get To together because we get to grow together. Now, I don't know how you feel about the the word together. Most of us, when we hear the word together, can either elicit um, a response of either affection or dread, right? If the people we are elbow to elbow with um, are ones that we're pretty comfortable with, we enjoy their company, we like spending time with them. If they don't ask us too many questions about our faith, our politics, or our issues, right, if they don't require too much extra time or energy from us, then our response to them is pleasure, right? Wouldn't it be great if we got to spend our entire lives with energetic, funny, inspiring people who made us laugh all the time? That's not our reality, though, is it? (laughs) Our reality is that sometimes the people God brings us together with are challenging for us to be with. Sometimes we don't connect with them. We don't see eye to eye. My boys actually have a word for these people. He calls them cool people. Cool stands for constipated, outdated, overrated losers. You live in the house I live in, you got to learn to speak boy. And now we know none of you are cool. I mean, not in the boy sense. You're all cool, but not in that sense. Our reality, though, includes the fact that there are people out there not like us. And that can keep us in have-to mode, as in I have to spend time with them. Because of that fact, if they're people that we don't know well, if they're strangers to us, then our have-to-avoid-them mechanism can kick into high gear. Now, think that's not you? Think you haven't been bitten by the stranger danger bud? Let's take a little test this morning. We're going to take a little litmus test of your avoidance meter here at church. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to either count on your fingers or toes or take out a pen and, uh, and keep track on your bulletin. But I do want you to keep track of um, your answers to these questions. How many ring true for you? Okay? Here we go. In the last six months, how many times have you avoided eye contact with someone here at church in order to avoid a conversation? Anyone? Okay. Number two. In the last six months, how many times have you initiated a conversation, meaning three to five exchanges back and forth, with someone that you don't know here at church? Isn't this fun? You're enjoying this, aren't you? In the last six months, how many times have you introduced a newcomer here to an acquaintance of your own? I don't see many fingers up. Number four, in the last six months, how many times have you asked someone out for coffee, someone from here that you didn't know well, out for coffee, for lunch, for dinner. If it was a date, it doesn't count. Your priorities were totally skewed. We're talking purely platonic, okay? How many times have you asked somebody out for coffee? Okay, let me give you an easier one. Let's see if this one rings true. In the last six months, how many times have you asked someone here at church how they are and then stopped to really listen to their response? 
If you have all your shoes off and you've counted on all your fingers and toes, you can probably be at ease because your avoidance meter is probably pretty low. But if you don't have more than five fingers up, it might be time to ask yourself the question, do I want to grow up at this church or do I just want to grow old? Because growing up requires us to grow together. It involves other people. Growing together is part of God's plan for us. He did not create us to get up every morning, go to work, come home, go to bed, get up the next day, and let that be our whole lives. God created us to be in relationship with himself first and with other people. Connecting yourself with other Christians is the wise thing to do. Proverbs 18.1 says this, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he breaks out against all sound judgment. See, isolation is destructive. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? You Google the word isolation, and you will find all sorts of studies that tell you about the negative health effects that happen to us when we avoid other people. So you're sitting here in church this morning. So it's pretty safe to assume that you came looking for something God-centered, something that may help you move forward in the way you deal with business or work, move forward in your relationships, maybe even move forward in your approach to God. And God will always meet us right where we're at when we ask him. He loves us that much. But what we need to realize is that often he uses other people to meet us in that place, to meet us in that place of celebration, of hurt or struggle. He uses other people to pour wisdom into us and to teach us about his grace He uses other people to show us mercy, to guide us to his redemptive love. He uses other people to help us grow more and more like Jesus. We need each other, face-to-face, consistent interaction. Hebrews 10.25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So some of you may be thinking, okay, aren't we all together here? (laughs) There's 400 of us. Doesn't that count? Yeah. But the together I'm talking about moves beyond a Sunday greeting. It moves beyond hello. Nine years ago, my family was, was new to Spokane. Um, we actually found Life Center North in the phone book back before there was an app for that, and it was an actual book. And I think it's still an actual book, but none of us use it, do we? So we found Life Center North, and we began coming. Unfortunately, we spent the first three months here at Life Center North coming and then leaving, filled with the message. We loved the worship like most of you do, but we left lonely for others. We were desperate for friendships. We'd come from a fairly tight-knit church um, over on the coast, and, uh, and we got here, and we found the well kind of dry for us. So we happened to mention that fact to another staff member here at Life Center North, and uh, that staff member took the step to orchestrate an introduction for us to two other families. And then one of those families took that introduction one step further and invited us to, to dessert that same night that they met us. We were floored. Nobody ever did that. I mean, we were strangers. They didn't even know us. But we were thrilled. We had no stranger danger flags going off. We weren't afraid that they were axe murderers or anything. We just, it was a, a simple, doable invitation, and we accepted. And who knew that years later, our two families would, would grow so close as to actually do a Disney vacation together and survive. And we still like each other. It's amazing. I know how easy it is to huddle up out there in the lobby with our friends and not even speak to a newcomer, not even notice. But we have bunches of newcomers walking in those doors every single Sunday morning. 
And they need us to take the risk to move beyond hello and give an invitation. And the simple fact is that that person that you invite to coffee or dinner or dessert may actually help you move forward spiritually as well. I stepped into the life group ministry about one year ago, leading our life groups. And uh, when I did, I began looking around for people who could um, help us lead, looking for people who might host a group in their home. So just a note to you, if you become friends with a, with a staff member, you might get asked to do things. It's a relational hazard, but a pretty good one. So these friends actually came to mind, the ones who originally invited us to dessert. But these particular friends were in a tough spot with regards to church. See, they had been coming to Life Center North for over a decade. They were here um, in the very beginning, but they'd not entered into the life group scene as a family. And in their words, they were disconnected from the heart and mission of Life Center North, and they needed to reach outside of that. They needed to reach beyond themselves. So last fall, when I asked them if they would consider committing, the big C word, commit, to lead a life group, here's what they said. They said, we have to. We have to. Because we either get connected by leading a group or we'll probably leave Life Center North. Ouch, right? There are some of you in those same exact shoes. See, my friends came to the point where it was time to either fish or cut bait. Can I ask you flat out, don't let yourselves get to that point. Become fishers of men, just like Jesus asked Peter to do so long ago. Go fishing. Give an invitation to dessert. Become a life group leader. We're looking for people who love God and who love people. That's all you need to do. We'll train you. Maybe you shy away from the word leader. Okay, open your home and host a group. We will find the leader. But the point is get connected because we need each other. We need each other. We have a life group event tonight called Taste and See. Taste and see that the Lord is good out of Psalm 34. He is so good. And, and it's open to all of you. We'll be right here in this room. You can come meet some other people who can help you grow spiritually. We want to invite you all back, but we do ask that you check at the info counter so we know how many to plan for for dinner. You know, joining a life group is not the only way to grow together. So this morning, I want to take a look at a fairly well-known passage in the Bible that can um, help us break down the process and, and the concept of growing together a little bit and, and maybe see where we're at in that. In case you're not terribly familiar with the Bible, it's in essence one giant love story. It's God's love story for us broken into many smaller stories. The one that we're going to look at this morning is actually the only miracle story that's told in all four Gospels, a gospel being um, simply a biography of Jesus' life. So we're going to look at this miracle story in the book of Luke. If you've got your Bible or your handy-dandy app out, go ahead and open up to the book of Luke. We're starting in chapter 9, verse 10. And you might want to keep a thumb here because we're going to refer back to it in just a little bit. All right, a little background on this. King Herod has just beheaded Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. And um, at the same time, John, or Jesus, or, excuse me, Jesus' disciples have been out on the hillsides preaching the word. And so now they're coming back to Jesus. And verse 10 says this, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. 
But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Now let me stop right there for just a minute and give you a little perspective. 5,000 men. Remember, this story is told in all four Gospels. So the Gospel of Matthew tells us that there were also women and children there. And most scholars um, surmise that it's probably anywhere between ten and 15,000 people we're talking about. So to give you perspective on that, imagine Spokane Arena. Most of us have been in the arena. When it's full, it seats just about 12,000 people. Okay, so we're talking a Spokane Arena-sized crowd. The disciples used to carry provisions with them, okay, five loaves, two fish, and they used to have um, a little bit of denarii. That's their money. Back then, it would have equated to about $35 in our money. So Jesus is asking them to feed 12,000 people with Five loaves, two fish, and $35. All right. Verse 14. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Now, most people, when they read the story, they focus on the miracle. Jesus fed a Spokane Arena-sized crowd with five small barley loaves and two pickled fish. That's a huge miracle, huge news, huge show of Jesus' love for his people. And in no way do I want us to miss that fact this morning. But what I do want us to do is focus on a, a part of this passage that we often do miss. Did you see any groups coming together in this story? Hear of any any people gathering? Let's take a look at it in the book of Mark, just real quick, how they all got there. But the multitudes, nope, yep, but the multitudes saw them departing. This is in the very first part of the story. And many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. Okay, so big, huge group, 12,000 people coming together to him. And this first group is kind of like us here today. This group had heard of Jesus, and they wanted a piece of him. They came together with a common mindset to get something from Jesus. They came to get healed. They came to get wisdom. They came to get their curiosity satisfied. And honestly, that's not unlike why many of us come to church each week, right? We come to get something from Jesus. You may have walked in those doors this morning desperate to get some strength for tomorrow needing to get some peace, to get a glimmer of hope. Maybe you just need to get somebody to pray for you. That's one of the reasons we have this prayer team up here after service. We come together to get something from Jesus. Most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, would admit that that's one of the main reasons we come, to get something from Jesus. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Jesus wants us to seek him. He wants to heal us. He wants to encourage us, give us his wisdom. He wants to give us strength for tomorrow. Psalm 105.4 says, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. See, we come together each weekend to get some Jesus time. But much like those of us who are parents want our children to grow up, we teach them the ABCs not so that they can sit on their ABCs, but we teach them the ABCs so that they can learn to read. God wants us to grow up in our faith as well and move beyond a once-a-week Jesus fix. Move beyond just coming to get something from Jesus and realize that we have much to give. 
See, we come together in a big group like this to give something to Jesus as well. So what is it that you can give him this morning? Maybe your heart surrendered for the first time. Maybe your agenda surrendered to his plan for your life. Maybe your worship, your devotion, maybe your recommitment to follow him. We each have much to give Jesus. But if you think about it, you're sitting here, big group, focused up here. Sometimes in the larger group like this, being in a group this big can actually hinder us from moving from what I can get to what I can give. So let's look back in our story one more time. If you still got your Bible open, look back to Luke chapter 9. One quick verse, verse 14, gives us a picture of what Jesus did. About 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Now he broke this group up into smaller groups, right? Mid-sized groups. And he did that to create order out of potential chaos, right? 12,000 people all clamoring for lunch, a little bit of chaos there. But the people on the hills of Bethsaida that day ate from God's provision, the multiplied fishes and loaves. And we get that same opportunity to eat from God's provision through the life and love of Jesus. See, Jesus Christ came into this world to restore us, but also to nourish our spiritual life. You heard it from Larry earlier. He didn't want to just accept Jesus and let that be his entire life. Larry Watney said he wanted his spiritual life nourished. He wanted to grow, to know what it was like to live his whole life for Jesus. In John 6.35, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So we get to fill up on the love of Jesus through our own personal devotions and prayer time, but we also have that same opportunity to eat of the bread of life through corporate Bible study in mid-sized groups, just like the ones on the hills of Bethsaida. There are so many ways here at Life Center North, to come together in a mid-sized group with others, find that face-to-face interaction, feed on the bread of life. Our Rooted series just started. It's eight-week series. It's a great foundational um, study, four different studies. We've got men's breakfasts. We've got women's Bible studies, monthly events coming up. We've got cleansing stream class. There's a Super Sunday coming up where you can meet some people in the, in the greenhouse the mobile home right across the parking lot. So we can grow together in mid-sized groups. And and honestly, when we break down into mid-sized groups, that's often where we learn to feed ourselves rather than be spoon-fed. But the final group in the Fishes and Love Story gives us a picture of the goal. This is a group of people who learned what it is to follow Jesus with abandon together. And in being together, they learned how to respect and love each other, how to deal with conflict, being together, They learn how to grow together, and you find them hiding in the background of the story. It's the small group of disciples. These were just ordinary guys, a bunch of guys who went fishing up in Alaska every summer for halibut, right, an IRS bookkeeper. These are regular guys who started out the same as we do in the large crowd with an invitation to say yes to Jesus and make him their Lord. See, originally they came together just like us to get something from Jesus, but it was when Jesus brought these ordinary men into a smaller group that he taught them how to move from what they could get to what they could give. Think about this. If you pull the two apart, realistically, we could walk in those doors every single Sunday morning, listen to the message, worship, and then walk right back out those doors without ever having to talk to anybody, 
without ever being held accountable to apply to our lives what we heard in the message, without ever having to give an ounce of ourselves to anybody. That's our choice. But when we come into a smaller group of people, we can't help but get the attention off of ourselves and our own needs and give to somebody else. You sit face-to-face with somebody, and you're going to give them some of your attention, some of your time, some of your own story, some of your encouragement or empathy for whatever they're going going through. See, growing together is the key. That's what helps us move from get to give. Remember Jesus' response when the disciples asked him to send the people away for food in the story we've been talking about? Right? Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Think about being the disciple yourself. All right, Jesus, 12,000 people. We got 35 bucks, five loaves, two fish. We got squat. You want us to feed 12,000 people with squat? Lord. But what did Jesus do? Jesus said, bring it here. Bring to me what you have, what little you have. And then he blessed what they gave him. And then Jesus performed one of the most memorable miracles in the entire Bible. I have a question for you. Do you think that those 12,000 people on the hills that day knew where their lunch came from? Do you think they had any idea that what they were eating came from five loaves and two fishes? I agree with you. Probably not. But the disciples knew. The disciples knew what Jesus had done with their pitiful little offering, and my bet is that they were blown away. When was the last time that Jesus did something in your life that blew you away? As Jesus has worked through our life groups here at Life Center North and people have entered into the kind of relationships that mirror the disciples, I've seen the extraordinary happen. I've been in this ministry one year, and in one year I've seen marriages, multiple marriages, on the brink of disaster, knit back together, as people entered into a group and allowed them to speak truth into their relationship. I've seen extraordinary prayers answered as groups gathered to pray for healing or protection or deliverance. I've seen life group members rally around those stuck in their faith and then celebrate just a few weeks later with them as they were baptized in the little Spokane this summer. I've seen people who would never set foot in a church accept an invitation to a life group and then accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and watch as he turned their life upside down. I've seen groups move beyond the needs of their own members to provide dinner for college students, ministering beyond themselves to a group of of kids far from home. I've seen groups rally around members as they pass from this life into the arms of Jesus. And those same groups paid for the darn funeral and provided love and emotional support and prayer for the people left behind. I've seen groups who celebrate recoveries and mourn their losses together, and it blows my mind. So what does that mean for you? Is a life group your only way to connect here at Life Center North? I hope you've been listening. No. No. Sometimes it's just a godly-centered friendship. Maybe it's you asking that person you connect with to mentor you. But what if you do enter into a life group? What if you do? Does it mean that you'll automatically have Instant friends, an instant circle? Not necessarily. Sometimes it takes a little longer than we hope. If you enter into a group, does it mean that you'll have to pray out loud? No, but we hope that you'll be open to exploring your prayer life with other people. Does it mean that you have to make a time commitment? Doesn't every good thing take time? 
It's about setting our priorities on the, on the godly principle of togetherness. If you enter a life group, does it mean that people will get to see the real you and some of your issues? Yep. And I feel your pain. A few years back, my family was, was getting hit on every avenue. We, we were getting hit physically, spiritually, emotionally, and, and we were pretty desperate. So one night after um, hosting our life group at our, our house, we asked our life group leaders, Phil and Peggy, to stay behind and pray through our house with us. We, uh, we just wanted God to cleanse every aspect of our lives because we wanted to be free from the attacks. So we thought, we'll just go room to room and pray. And so that's what we did. Phil and Peggy and my husband John and I and our two boys, Reed and Adam, we just went room to room. And for the boys, it was like candy. <laughs> they loved this. They, they, they think Phil and Peggy walk on water. We're still working on that one with them. But to have Phil and Peggy in their room praying for them was a really big deal. And so after just a few rooms, our boys started to get into it and, and say prayers for each other as well. And then we came to our room, mine and John's. And I got to tell you, that's just a little awkward to have your life group leader standing beside your bed. But Phil put us totally at ease. He said this beautiful prayer over John and my relationship. And then Adam dives in. Adam was about eight at the time. And Adam says this beautiful prayer. He says, dear Jesus, thank you for my mommy and daddy. I love them so much. Please help my mommy stop cussing. (laughs) Like, really? That's what you're going to pray with our life group leader standing right there with us? It took me a while to laugh about that one, and I still don't think I've laughed as hard as you do. (laughs) But I'll tell you, there's so much freedom in accountability. There's freedom there. I'm a lot more likely to watch my tongue on an angry day knowing that our friends Phil and Peggy realize it's a struggle for me. And as I've spent more time in my life group, I found it easier and easier to be the real me. I welcome accountability now. as I know it's just one more way that God is helping me to become more like him. Relationships aren't easy, are they? They often require of us more than we want to give. But as the disciples learned, and I know many of us in this room have learned, extraordinary things, mind-blowing things happen when we make a commitment to grow together. It's one of the great get-tos we have. We get to love Jesus. We get to serve others. We get to make disciples. And we get to grow together. Will you pray with me? Well, Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you that even in the uncomfortable things, (laughs) the uncomfortable prayers said by a little child, that we can grow. And we thank you that we are not an island to ourselves, that you have given us each other. And Lord, we thank you that you move us past the things that are frustrating when we're with, to, with each other. You move us past conflict. You move us past and through questions about our own faith. You grow us when we challenge each other. You grow us when we encourage each other. Sometimes we just need an arm around our shoulders to say, hey, you can do it. You got this. And so, Jesus, we just want to praise you because you've given us each other. And I just ask that you would identify for us our next step, whatever that would be. Help us move beyond hello and become inviters. Help us become a church of inviters, a church who wants to reach out beyond our comfort zone, beyond ourselves, and to show other people what it is to know you and the joy that it is to love you. 
And we'll just give you all the praise, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.